0: saying how much they want a strong woman what they really want is a cheerleader
1: i'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking
2: i just want what everybody wants i seem to have a harder time getting it Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 311, and we're sending y'all straight to love heaven. It shows everybody waiting in the booth with me are my friends, so let me introduce you to them. First up, we have my favorite critic and the Christmas addy himself, Alonzo Duralde. What's good?
1: Oh, I'll tell you. Well, first of all, I just want to say, uh, Dre wanted me to tell everyone that she's not on this episode because she hates uh, love and uh, hot (laughs) dogs. And that's why she's uh, absolutely not doing this episode. I so just want to put that out there. Talk to Greya if you're mad. It's, you know, I didn't say it, she did. Uh, what's good with me besides uh, roasting our absent friend is uh, I went to the Broad this week to see the Keith Haring exhibition Ooh. called Art is for Everybody, and it was so great. I mean, like, he is kind of the visual soundtrack of my coming out in the late 80s. Like, I realized how many like Keith Haring, stop AIDS or National Coming Out Day buttons I once wore on my <laughs> denim jacket. But to see like the big pieces in person was really breathtaking. And, you know, we think about like the sort of whimsy of his stuff. It's a kind of cartoony and the radiant baby. And, you know, it's all, but like he was into the shit in terms of like, you know, these pieces are, are sexual and they're angry about capitalism, about AIDS, about apartheid. Um, like this is really important. Uh, uh, messaging art of the 80s, while at the same time being this, like, really kind of visually compelling and, and you know, uh, ha- have a very, you know, there's a, there's a real sense of humor to this, but at the same time, there's a, a definitive sense of, of anger as well. So, uh, it, you know, it, I think he's just a really extraordinary American artist. And if you're in L.A., it's going to be up at the Broad uh, until October 8th. And if you're not in L.A., I'm assuming these things tour. So keep a lookout at your local museum and see if it comes to you. But, yeah, Keith Haring, artist for everybody. Amazing stuff.
2: Yes. uh, Yeah. No, I um, kind of got more tapped into who Keith Haring is as an artist as, you know, I got older and started looking into art and truly, I think uh, for sure, one of the greatest contemporary artists of our time and like really talking about, you know, speaking uh, truth through your art. And not only is like in the art world is he amazing but when you look at you know just his effect in like kind of bringing art to the masses like even if you don't know the name keith herring you definitely have seen one of his pieces guaranteed
1: and, so and, and then he had the pop shop to sort of make things affordable and accessible because so much of like what we think of as the world of fine art is so Mm -hmm. strangled by fucking rich people uh he was like you know what i no, i want t-shirts i want you know like postcards like i want people to like walk in and take something home and and we don't see enough of that
2: yes indeed no i i highly agree and it's so funny you should say that because i was just driving and saw like the kind of like uh lamppost ad for Mm -hmm. it and i was like oh i'm definitely going to check that out so now the double double uh (laughs) double reason yes all right. And today uh, we have, while Trey is in absence, we do have an amazing guest, host of the Stacks Podcast, Tracy Thomas. What's good? Woo!
0: Uh, Okay, first of all, I hope I can live up to it because that was really quite the intro. Drea, I miss you. I was really looking forward to meeting you, but I guess we'll have to do this again. Um, My What's Good is probably a little on the lower brow side than Keith Herring. It is the Root Beer Float Popsicles at Trader Joe's. (laughs) They are so good. (laughs) They're like creamsicles, but with root beer instead of orange on the outside. Delicious. They have taken me down a full rabbit hole where I've had root beer floats every single day, actual root beer floats every single day uh, since I finished my box of four last week for the last seven days straight. I am fully a root beer float person now, and I didn't know this about myself, but here I am. Uh coming out as a Rupert Flow person. So, so it's a gateway it. drug, is what you're <laughs> saying.
2: Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Gets into you know, the hard stuff. And you kind of like front porch uh your what's good, but look, that is just in line with our usual oh, what's good. Yeah, yeah I, believe me, but I
1: yeah. went to a museum once and I'm writing yeah. it for all that it's worth. Yeah. Usually I'm here with the fruit loops and with the water in the box.
0: And turned berry colored. Yeah.
1: People
0: know me for books, but people who listen to my show know that snacks and desserts are like. More important to me than books, so I felt like it was appropriate to share my current. Welcome, favorite welcome home. Session. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> thank you. Iffy, what's good?
2: Oh man, what's good with me is uh, I I think I might have done this after the, the Ithaca trip, um, but I'm gonna do it again just as a reminder public libraries. I did a, oh, a oh, fun, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, today was a pretty packed up day uh, f- for me in the sense that I had to do like Naomi's like she starts school tomorrow and they have like the meet the meet and greet with the teachers. And, you know, obviously, as the resident meathead, I couldn't, you know, mess up the gym schedule. You know, me and him <laughs> both go to the gym. So I was like, OK, here's the deal. Uh, we'll go, uh, you can go in the morning and, uh, we'll go to the library. And then from there, we'll go to the meet and greet and then I'll drop you off. And then I'll go to the gym and then I'll go to my meetings before everything else. And so we were at the Glendale public library, the central library. And I got to say, great, got, you know, went in, got Nomi her, her library card. And, you know, we were just sitting in the children's book section and she was just busting through, um, it's, uh, Katie Wu books. She's really been into those and she was just blasting. Through and it was so funny because it was um, partially, you know, one of the things where I like she was going so fast. I was like, "Hold on, real quick, um, <laughs> like, let me quiz you on this." And she, yeah, no, she's just a quick reader, busting through the books. So, uh, real, uh, real great moment sitting in the sitting in the library, just knocking it all out. So, uh, public libraries are my pick for the week. Um, but you know, just. Uh, and checking them out, go there, support them. Uh, but you know, speaking of libraries and books, we're going to give you our review of Red, White, and Royal Blue, then we'll answer a hotline call about filmmakers and prestige TV. But first, it's time for Itadic, our movie news segment where we read the week's movie news and ask ourselves, Is this important? Do I care? And now you know what Itadic stands for. First up. <laughs> Two LGBTQ films were slapped with R and NC-17 ratings. Critics say queer sex scenes are treated differently. Directors Matthew Lopez and Iris Sachs have complained about the unequal standards the Motion Pictures Association applied to LGBTQ films versus straight films. In an interview with Games Radar, Red, White, and Royal Blue director Matthew Lopez expressed some surprise at the film's R rating, saying, I mean, when we got the R rating, I think on one hand I was a little surprised, but I was also not surprised. I did question whether or not if it had been a straight couple, we would still have gotten an R rating. And Passages director Ira Sachs said, The censorship of queer images exists from the top to bottom. It's not just the MPA, it's also what films are financed, what films are supported by festivals, what films get bought, what films get shown. Is this important? Do you care?
1: Oh, boy, howdy, is this important, <laughs> and I care a great deal. And this has been going on for ages. Like, if you see uh, a Kirby Dick's documentary, this film was not yet rated about the MPAA and its sorry history. Uh, this goes back decades where they, they're always much harder on queer sexuality. And there's a whole section of that film with all of, like, scenes side by side where it's like, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Spacey, Masturbating in American Beauty is an R, even though it's because it's mostly happening, you know, below the frame. But uh, Natasha Leone and But I'm a Cheerleader, NC-17. or you know, They wanted to, like, give it that originally. Uh, it's over and over again to the extent that if you watch a movie called Big Eden, which is one of the sweetest, most adorable queer romantic comedies I've ever seen, like, so just darling, this movie. And it, it is so non-racy, and it's PG-13. And for no reason whatsoever, except that it's two dudes, and 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 yeah, this is their excuse as well. You know, we're the mouthpiece for the parents, and we're here for the blah blah blah. And it, it is straight up, you know, uh, uh, inequality and and double standardism. And uh, I've seen both of these movies, and 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 the the scene and passages. Again, if that were not two dudes, uh, it would it would not have been such an issue. In fact, I didn't find out until later that it was because of that sex scene that it was rated at C-17. And I had to think about it. Like, mm. what happens? It's so, I mean, I guess there's a hand near a butt. Oh, no, you know. But yeah, th- this is this is uh, an ongoing systemic thing with the MPA.
2: Uh, and, and I wish they would knock it off, yeah, oh, yeah. No, um, yeah, I can only agree because, yeah, it's the stuff that gets away with the p g thirteen rating and the stuff that doesn't. But, you know, as a um like video game fan, I'm long been at odds with all of the, like, different rating mm-hmm. systems when you realize that it really isn't <laughs> you know the pearl clutching and all this it really is just this um arbitrary system uh that that is ruled by money and bullshit yeah. and uh it, honestly
1: and not even getting into the like how much violence you can get away with versus how oh sex yes. you can get away with which is a whole nother conversation needs that.
0: i feel like it's also worth just pointing out that this this kind of like you know censorship or whatever you want to call it these ratings that are harsher on lgbtq films is not separate from everything else we're seeing in politics around lgbtq people um like when we're talking about these book bands mm. so many of them are books that are targeted uh that are by queer authors that have queer love stories or just queer characters at the center there is a concerted effort in america now and for as long as America's been America (laughs) to target, to demonize, to, you know, the adultification of queer people, especially in relationship to kids. So like, this is something that is, I care about deeply and I think is connected to a lot of other stuff, even though you can say like, this is just films and they've been doing this in films forever, but this is, you know, conservative media one hundred and one. Yeah, right. it,
1: it, it go, it's all it's all this premise of you know, like oh my God, we've got to protect the children, and it's. And, you know, half the time what you're really protecting them from is being open minded and uh, and,
0: you it know, to be fucking. OK, let's not pretend. It yeah, it's, it, it
2: is. You're telling on yourself when you make a big. Deal, oh, well, this. look here. It's the obligatory mention that the same people that want to protect children are the same people who are turning a blind eye when they have elected officials running with like clear paper trails. And clergy, of trafficking. Don't
1: forget clergy. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah, You know, like, so, so let's not, you know, pretend it is, it is ever about that because it's not, you know, at least ha- if there was some kind of like re you know, some kind of like real transparency where they stood up at least to those people along with this, like it still would be shitty, but at least, you know, your morals would make sense. But it's, it's very very clear to see that it is targeting a specific group of people and it's completely baseless. Um, so yeah, this fight the real enemy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, okay. I really want you to help me unpack this one. Tyrese Gibson is suing the home depot for alleged, quote, humiliating and demeaning incident, unquote. Uh, Tyrese is suing Home Depot after two of his employees were denied a purchase at a store in West Hills earlier this year. A TMZ reporter caught up with Gibson at the airport and asked him about the lawsuit. Here's what Mr. Gibson had to say. You're
0: bothering us and messing with us and creating an uncomfortable experience in a place that happens to be my happy place. But as much as I'm okay, as I got thick skin. When I see that they made one of my family members cry, and that's what made me hug him in the store. I don't know if you seen that. I hugged yeah. him in the store. He was crying. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I had to, I had to, I had to say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna get away from, you know, letting the water roll off my back and me be done with it. I gotta do this on behalf of anybody who have ever experienced that in-home
1: They're suing the company for more than $1 million in damages due to the company's negligence in, quote, hiring, screening, training, and supervising, unquote. Is this important? Do you care?
2: Uh, you know, I, I I don't know how important it is and I don't know how much I care, specifically because Tyrese is at the center of it. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> I, I am the resident Tyrese update person on the pod. But after fighting back a bunch of idiots in his comments when uh, defending trans kids, uh, me and Tyrese have not been getting along uh, very well. It's been very dumb. He shared a an, uh, Andrew Tate take. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and yeah, he's he's just so uh, so so. When you share Andrew Tate takes, I I really take any complaints with a grain of salt because you know you're you're calling for for this uh help, you know help with discrimination, but have no problem discriminating against others on your own personal social media page. Right now, I'm in a very fuck Tyrese Gibson mood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not even clear what exactly happened, but obviously uh, it would appear that the, the the implication of the lawsuit is that uh, staffers of his were uh, uh, mistreated by uh, Home Depot employees. I guess
0: I feel like Home Depot is a space where a lot of Black and Brown people go on behalf of wealthier people, often white ones. Yeah, and like if they're being treated shittily there. Because of that. Right. Because that's sort of the implication is that his employees were maybe treated like they didn't they weren't allowed to purchase something. So
2: basically what happened was Tyrese was in the store, gave his credit card, um, left the store because a crowd was forming around him and the store refused to complete the purchase with the credit card, uh, gave no reasonable explanation other than uh, repeating store policy, which is uh Pretty par for the course, and they demanded to see a form of identification. Um, It said the manager refused to speak with Gibson in person. It was only after a significant heated discussion with the cashier that Gibson was finally able to complete the transaction. Um, I, I you know, it seems like yeah, I've run into the credit card issue before, so once again, um,
0: yeah, but you're black,
2: yeah, yeah, that's
0: the point, yeah. So (laughs) I mean. If Home Depot being assholes, like, sure, it's important because, yeah, fun, exactly. But also, like, I still don't care about Tyrese.
2: Yeah, yeah, same, same thing. If, <laughs> if, if Home Depot, but you know,
0: if he um,
1: winds up, like, leading the charge here, then yeah. I need more power to him, I guess. But, you know, it's weird. I, I think it's I think it's a, a wait and see is probably
2: yeah. the yeah. policy. In yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, in our next one, 27 Latino organizations unite in support for Blue Beetle during Hollywood strikes. Blue Beetle comes out August 18th. It's set to be the first superhero movie written and directed by Latinos. And you won't see any of the cast talking about the film because of the WGA and SAG after strikes but there's 27 Latino organizations in Hollywood urging you to see the movie. Organizations like the Latino Film Institute and the National Hispanic Media Coalition wrote an open letter asking the community to join them in their effort to amplify the work that countless Latino artists have worked so hard to create. Is this important? Do you care?
1: Uh, I would say yes on this one, um, because here's the thing, if Blue Beetle tanks there's not going to be an asterisk next to it that says, well, you know, the strikes. It's just going to be a thing where later on, it's actually like, well, we tried this one superhero movie with Latinos and people didn't show up. So uh, I think that, yes, there is a way to, again, let's just remind, remind everybody that neither the, the Writers Guild nor SAG-AFTRA have asked people to boycott new movies, to cancel streaming subscriptions or anything like that. Um, So there's nothing inherently anti-strike about going out and supporting a movie on opening weekend. And I think it is important for this film to get support uh, in the hopes of any other films like it ever being made again. So I think good on the community and good on these other organizations to kind of like uh, rally folks and say, hey, look, they can't speak for this movie because they're on strike. But we can speak and say that you really need to go see it. And I'm just going to append this by saying you should go see it. It's a lot
2: yeah, I I mean like you, there is a an important moment happening in an extremely unfortunate dichotomy for creators of color because you know the 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 you know the Brad Pitts the um you know the Scorsese's the you know um white uh acting and writing professionals of the industry aren't constantly dealing with having their worth in this industry kind of measured against the success of their work. And um, unfortunately, creators of color do. Uh, I also wanted to point out that I shout out to James Gunn, who said no matter how Blue Beetle does, Blue Beetle is going to be a part of the DC Cinematic Universe. Oh, good. Because of everything everyone is Thinking and talking about, whereas you know everyone gets one shot. Everyone, it, it always is the creator of a color who has to have a runaway hit, or they don't get to work again. And the white kid with a uh, director father can just make <laughs> uh, one hit and continue to uh, fail upwards until he's uh, canceled for uh, his own actions. Uh, you know, and, and the no one, woke, and the go
1: woke go broke crowd is always all over any time a film like this doesn't do. Oh,
2: well, make well, those people like. <laughs> well, let's let's, yeah, yeah. What's what's so funny about the go, work, go broke crowd is you just see how just spineless, dumb, and just amoeba uh, they are, which, you know, they were so sure Barbie was going to fail because they uh-huh. were a go, work, go broke. And then immediately, as soon as it sees success, they had to try and pivot and make it about them. And, and, and it's really why you should never pay attention to anything they ever say anyway. But yes, uh, this is important and this is the. The thing right where you do want support for movies like this, same thing for they clone Tyrone, you know, a movie that would have flown under the radar, you know, even without a um, strike because Netflix does not know how to uh, promote their movies, but um, making sure that these movies are, you know, Getting butts in seats, uh, even though we can't personally ask you to put them butts in the seats.
0: And I think just briefly, I think it also is important and I think it matters because I think when organizations rally behind marginalized groups in solidarity, I think that's always important. I oh, think yes. that is like such a such a powerful thing to see. And I think that like it should never be ignored or diminished i just think there's so many opportunities not to do that kind of stuff and so many ways to be like to slide under the radar without organizing or joining forces that when it happens i'm always like hell yeah 27 organizations said let's be together on this like let's go
2: yes exactly that's super exciting uh super good to see and you know gets me uh Gets me hype because I I think one of the, you know, really cool things to see in this, you know, strike is the solidarity of seeing like, you know, these people come together because, you know, writing and acting, it can be so separate. You know, you write on your shows, you kind of tweet at each other, but we don't ever, (laughs) you know. Thanks to lockdown, we don't ever get to be around each other. So uh, while it is an unfortunate reason, getting to stand next to my fellow writers and like meet them and talk and seeing them come together, I think we're going to see some beautiful things come out of the other end of this uh, stupid strike.
0: Yeah.
2: The the reason we have to strike is stupid. The strike itself is not oh, stupid. For right. for clarity, for those you of know course. trying to st-
0: for those who are for, willfully for, yeah, for, for the <laughs> AMPTP
2: spies <laughs> listening for sound bites to try and get you me like they shut got off, Stephen Amell. No way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, we're talking about red, white, and royal blue. See you in a bit.
0: I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chut Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful. Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real-life married Yuck. couple. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry, snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona, the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo.
2: I hate this little hippo. Hello everyone and welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Yvi Wadiwe, in the studio with me are...
1: Alonzo Duraldi.
2: Tracy Thomas. And today we're talking about the feature debut of director Matthew Lopez. It was adapted from a best selling 2019 novel by Casey McQuinston and was co produced by Berlanti Schechter Films and Amazon Studios. So, Alonzo, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of Red, White, and Royal Blue? Uh,
1: sure, so um, let's see, gosh, where to begin. Alex Claremont Diaz, he is the son of the President of the United States, and she sends him to England to attend a royal wedding, uh, where he has to come face-to-face with Prince Henry, who is the handsome, beloved uh, second son um, in the British royal family, and uh, Alex has always thought that Henry was a bit of a snob, very standoffish, very, you know, like, cold to him, uh, um, they get into a bit of an argument at the wedding, which turns into a bit of a scuffle, which destroys a 75,000 pound cake. And I mean, a price, not weight. Um, <laughs> so uh, to to fix this sticky diplomatic situation, uh, Alex has to go back to England and uh, give a bunch of interviews with Henry, where they pretend to be the best of pals, even though they can't stand each other. But as they spend time together, to get to know each other they can stand each other and in fact fall <laughs> in love which is great except for the fact that they have these very important political positions that could be um you know make a relationship between the two of them a little bit complicated on the world scene uh, can these two crazy kids work it out will the us president be reelected and somehow swing texas find out in red
2: white and royal
0: ooh, ooh. okay
2: I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So uh, <laughs> um, uh, this is a great discussion prompt based on something we said earlier. Had anyone read this book? <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing Tracy had too,
0: right? I haven't read it. I what? started it, but I didn't actually finish it. Oh, man. Ooh. A- we I call like that a... We call that a DNF in the biz. A DNF. Did, <laughs> did not, not finish. finish. Yeah.
1: I get it. You Look, I'm looking at those shelves behind you that put mine to shame. So I, I, I you have a lot of choices when it comes to your travel. I for
0: work-related really, work reasons. So I have to read for work. And so sometimes I pick up a book for pleasure, but then if a deadline's coming up, I have to just put it down. And usually by then, by the time I'm finished with the thing for the deadline, I have another thing. And so I just never went back to it. Um. Yeah, so I, I don't want people to think that I DNF'd it because I didn't like it. I actually thought it was cute as far as I got, but that was probably only like 50 pages.
1: I, I did read it. I thought it was really charming. Uh, some some friends of mine from the the Decca Hallmark uh, group were like, oh, yeah, you know, the book for the movie comes out. I was like, okay, okay, I'll check it out. And it's a page, sure. It's a lot of fun. It is a romance novel, you know, uh, and <laughs> if that's something that you immediately discount, then, you know, sorry, that I don't what to tell you that's what the genre is. Uh, but it, it's, it's really charming, and, you know... I- I would say I get why there are fans of the book who are annoyed with the movie. Like there are, you know, in the book, Alex has a sister. He does not in the movie. um, There are some supporting characters that play, that do major things in the book that don't make it to the, the adaptation, but that's just how adaptations work. You know, Um, I think there was anything that I missed in the, in the translation it's. Uh, a big thing that happens, like the, the third act is kicked off by this leak of the emails between the two of them. So, like, before they're able to decide whether or not they want to come out to the world, that decision is made for them by the tabloid press. And the emails themselves, over the course of the book, it's almost like a lot of it's a, an epistolary novel. Like, so much of it is told in, the, in these emails that they're exchanging back and forth. Uh, that's really where a lot of their relationship comes from. That's where you really get to understand who they are. Why they uh, why they're attracted to each other? Why they are intellectually compatible and not just like hot to jump each other's bones? And so I would have liked a little more of that in the book. But I think that Lopez, who is you know a a very distinguished playwright, he did The Inheritance, which is like the the very big deal of gay show, gay play of the last few years. Um, I think he does a, a pretty good job of. Of, you know, summing it up and, and getting us there to the places that we need to be emotionally, even if he doesn't have the real estate that the question has on page. Uh, if he had it, that was, was this for you coming in totally cold?
2: It was very interesting because um, like this one and you could tell me if how how it felt very like Hallmarky. Like, You're in not stylistic, wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was like, stylistically, it's very like, it, it reminds me of like our usual annual, which I love a uh, Hallmark movie watch. And it, it was, they very- hate each
1: other. They kind of like yeah, each other. Yeah, they love
2: each other. Yeah. But as it progressed, I think that the story had a very dope, uh, complex take on it, which is, you know, kind of addressing the fact of what it's like to be gay as a prince and, you know, and you're living this public life and you want to have this relationship that is going to, you know, turn the nose up of idiots, uh, you know, who are, you know, you know, like following you. And that made it, I think, so much more dynamic and like fun to watch because it adds like that extra layer of like ooh Tracy from the taste you've gotten on
1: page yeah
0: so I can't really speak I from what I read on the page it was exactly the same I think I got to the cake scene basically so like it basically tracked um, but um, what I can say is because I am in the book space and I know so many people who love the book um, I do not know a single person who read the book who liked the movie. Wow. Uh, I am a, I am a known hater. I'm a very harsh critic of basically everything. And so this movie for me was super duper mid. I, I, I love, I like the enemies to lovers trope. I always think that that's fun. And I think what this movie did well and what I appreciated about, and I think this is Casey McQuiston and not necessarily the movie, is that it made a lot of sense to me why they couldn't be together. I think a lot of times in romance, that part always feels really forced of like, we can't be together because we work at the same company. (laughs) But HR already knows. But still, it's weird. You know, and it's like, okay, guys, like, let's figure it out. But I felt like in this, I really was like, I understand why this would be difficult. Like I understand why your parents aren't in, in the middle of your relationship. Like all of that made a lot of sense to me. So I did, I did like that because it did I wasn't asked to suspend my disbelief in that way, which I think usually really takes me out of it. I, I think my big question, and I know that I'm not supposed to ask you guys questions, but I'm a podcast host, so I can't help myself. Yeah. Who did you think that the audience was for this, for this movie?
2: Ooh, that is a very good question because I I actually did think about this watching it because um like like I I, I will say yeah, like there's like I said, you know, from the Hallmark-y and I was like, okay, this isn't directly my cup of tea, but you know, M kind of was like, oh, this feels like, you know, the Gen Z rom com. And I kind of felt that way when you had a lot of those cuts with the like it, it was very social media texting heavy. And I really did like a lot of the ways that they implemented uh, their conversations and brought them in the same room. I thought it was very uh, I like like that creative girl. and cool. And I feel like, you know, maybe that was the swing that was being made here where it's like, what is like, what does a rom-com look like for a younger audience?
1: I mean, I think that uh, like unless you're one of those Hallmark people who decamped to, you know, gack because you didn't want it to be woke. Uh, like if you were open to the idea of it being a same-sex romance, I think that for most Hallmark viewers, this is this is the sweet spot. like it's it's a little hot, but not like too explicitly anything. Uh, and it 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 does kind of, hit those notes that you know it's going to hit along the way, Uh, you know, the sort of, like, we can't be together and all is lost and then we're going to make it work and all of that kind of thing. Although I I think that also there are uh, gay men who complain that Heartstopper isn't sexy enough, which I think is a whole weird thing. Like, I, I was encountering a lot of that on Blue Sky, and I'm like, Heartstopper is a sweet, like, teen romance. It's not supposed to be, like... Hot and heavy, like let it be this little sweet thing. But if you want some pants coming down, this is the thing for you. I think that might have you know be a little more of that thing. Um, I I will say that this is also kind of hallmarky in a bad way in terms of there are times where the budget or lack thereof, I think, really kind of rears its head. Like you get a polo match, which I was like, wow, okay, they're they're doing the polo match. That, That can't have been cheap. But then, like, you get some, just the worst green screen I think I've ever seen on, like, the White House lawn and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a whole big scene at the end that it hinges upon a crowd gathering outside of Buckingham Palace, and we never see that crowd.
0: Right. You see, like, the reflection. Yes, they're just <laughs> off screen, and you hear them, and it's like,
1: oh, come on, movie. Yeah, like, that's, this is a big moment that you're just dropping because you could not, you couldn't do the day. You know, you couldn't get enough background or whatever. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, would, I would argue that, like, uh, gay men and, you know, uh, the uh, women who i'll tell you you know what 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 uh, gay thing had a huge straight female audience was showtime's original queer smoke
2: yeah
0: see because this to me i felt like the audience for this was straight women between the ages of 30 and 55 like this felt to me it did not feel queer at all as a movie like it didn't it nothing about it felt like it it was engaging with queer thought queer art queer aesthetic like nothing about it felt that way and i feel like i was just like so you've just plugged in two men because you're checked like it it just didn't feel gay like
1: but but it's it's about two like it's one guy who's in the closet and one guy who's sort of like bisexual theoretically but hasn't really acted on it a lot and in the book you get more just sort of like i think i'm
0: talking more about like the movie aesthetic like like the like the way that it's crafted for the audience you know like there are some things like there are movies that you'll see where there's a lot of white people in it but it's still like a black film do you know what i mean (laughs) like this movie it's like you could be closeted or you could be bisexual whatever it just lacked like i don't know it just gave me like major straight straight vibes.
1: I I hear you. I think the reason, that part of that is just because the world in which this movie is set, you know, it's not like it's, oh, it's New York City or whatever. It's like it's DC, like very political DC and the fucking royal family, you know, like they don't ever sneak off and go to like, you know, Chelsea or something or to, you know, wherever the gays go, you know, nobody goes to that, is it gay still the nightclub in London? I don't know. Uh, So like, I think because they're just in that that sort of hermetically sealed world that like them, their, their couplings are the only gay thing about this movie, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like Yowie in a way, you
2: know, Ooh, you know, great reference. Thank and you. I, and I think very apt. Yeah. Cause I mean, these guys I mean, are
1: so smooth. Yeah. and like, I mean, these guys are waxed within an inch of their lives. And so there is something about, uh, if you want to explain what Yowie is.
2: Yeah. Yowie is the, uh, is essentially, um, anime where it's like, I, I think it's directly translates to boy love or, but it is all about like, you know, two men in love. Uh, and sometimes very upfront and sometimes very, um, hinted at like uh banana fish is a whole like New York Japanese takes on New York gang between like two men who are in love. And in that one, you don't really get to see it, but then you have somewhere like they're straight up, like making out and it's it, and it yeah
1: and it is directed at women like the, the, yes. they, they are mm-hmm. the principal audience for yaoi and they aren't queer in the sense that you're talking about in terms of like any kind of lived queer experience right. and so i think that's kind of what this is going
0: through. that's what it feels like it it feels like homosexuality for straight ladies like and that's just the vibe i got which i don't know
1: i'm reminded of there's a joke on uh mad about you where helen hunt asks paul reiser why men like to watch lesbian porn and he says i agree with both of them <laughs> so i i think women there are women who like right. to watch two hot guys make out you know
2: yeah
0: yeah that's so yeah. funny that's
2: Banger line, um, yeah, yeah, I know. So, like, I was pretty much feeling everything everyone was feeling throughout this whole film because I was like, okay, cool, I I see it, and I get it. You know, come like seeing it come together. Um, what did we think of? Uh, you know, um, who I was excited to see, uh, Uma Thurman.
0: Uh, (laughs) she was acting (laughs) I I, I wish her
1: Texas accent had been a little more consistent but I think she's having a great time (laughs) doing this and just like yes I am the president of the United States it's like okay I believe believe you you are my president
2: well that's also something I thought was a cool uh, kind of like uh thing where like every person in power more often than not was a woman and it was like i was like oh yeah this is a nice kind of flavor where it's like yeah let's like lean into that let's see like this world where like women are running things and people aren't bringing up emails and somehow it works you know like
1: (laughs) although weirdly one of the big changes from the book is that at the end of the, the the big confrontation at the end of the novel is with the queen and uh because they could, they wanted to cast Stephen Fry, they made him the king. Ah. <laughs> and also I think just because of the idea that for, for for the next you know couple of decades we're going to have a king of England. Yeah. Wow. Uh but but that, that's the one woman we missed out on. But all the other ones like the 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 you know the the chief of staff and and other people uh were also uh were also uh uh, women in the book yeah uh, sarah Shahi, i thought was hilarious as zara of uh, and uh the the president sort of aide de camp but she was great and we should mention the dudes nicholas galatine who's the yes prince, soon to be seen in the very funny bottoms and uh taylor yes. Zakhar perez as uh alex and i think that m- uh, they of uh, many sins are forgiven by the fact that those two have really great chemistry
2: yeah
0: did you think? I did. Did you? Did do it
1: for you? Did him? Okay, I did not. Okay. Interesting.
0: Found, well, I keep calling him Prince Harry. Sorry. <laughs> allegedly. allegedly, <Henry. laughs> The other prince. The Prince Henry. I found him to be so wooden. Mm. I was just, I didn't get it. I couldn't get down with him. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm like overcome by how much I wasn't into him. Because <laughs> I generally like love a royal moment. <laughs> I love, I love wealth, pomp, circumstance. <laughs> I love unattainability, so I was really hoping to love him. And I just, I didn't, like, when they have the sex scene, the sex scene, you know, the one. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like they were having two totally different kinds of sex. I felt like the American boy was fucking, and I felt like the UK boy was giving me, I am a virgin, and I am uncomfortable with this, and this is, like, Something that is the most tender moment of my life. Oh. And I just, I'm like, there was no, but it, I think it's supposed to be opposite. I think. That the U.S. boy is supposed to be the virgin and that the British boy is supposed to be the one who's been fucking. I don't think
1: so. Because, I mean, we know that the the U.S. guy had been with the reporter. So, I mean, like, you're not, uh, uh, I, I mean, yeah, he you know, I mean, you knows. know, I, 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 I,
0: I, I felt like there's sex. It felt like two different sexies, okay. regardless of the truth. Like, I felt like the one was, like, giving us this, like, tender, like, oh. Uh, and then the other one was like, oh, I, yeah, I really liked, I really
1: like the hand on the lower back <laughs> moment. That was, that to me felt like. Uh, A moment of intimacy we don't often see portrayed in movies, you know, about uh, two dudes. Um, I think The Prince was really good at, uh, at conveying the angst of it all. Like the face that he makes when they're when they're on the the the, 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 boat the, thing. the floating dinghy thing, yeah. 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 Where you know where, where he realized, like, I cannot join you in this fantasy of what our future life is going to be together because I'm not. I'm going to be deprived of all of that. Mm-hmm. And and then later, when after they've been outed and, and he you know flies to to England to see him, I, I I thought he was radiating just like genuine anguish in a way that mm-hmm. just broke my heart. You know, and and I, and but then the fact that I thought the two of them together just really kind of. You know, brought each other up. I don't know. I it worked for me. I don't know.
0: What to say. It can, it can work for you and not work for me. That's allowed. <laughs> of course, you don't can. have to defend yourself.
2: Of course. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, you know, uh, it's it is a time to bust out that vote. We thinking we voting.
1: Yes, it is. What yeah. Is <laughs>
2: Well, the way we vote for things on this pod is Screen It being the highest, Stream It being the next level, and Skip It being self-explanatory. So, Alonzo, you want to kick this thing off?
0: Sure.
1: Uh, I would say Screen It. Um, And obviously, you know, these three tiers... Are meaningless here because you can only stream this one. And frankly, I think on a screen, the the glaringly bad uh, uh, green screen would be even more uh, distracting. But that aside, uh, I was I was delighted by this. I mean, yes, I I do spend a good part of the year watching Hallmark Christmas movie, so maybe my brain is broken. But (laughs) I thought that this carried off really well. Um, You know, I I I like the idea of. You know, like you were saying before, like there's a genuine thing coming between them, which is their lives and their responsibilities and what they're asked to do. And even in the year of our Lord 2023, being gay is not necessarily an acceptable part of that for some people. And and to to uh, pursue that is going to mean you know breaking a lot of traditions and 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 stepping aside from a lot of responsibilities.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, crazy. Um. Okay, I'm gonna just. I'm just going to say skip it. I don't okay. think you have to see it. I mean, if you want to put it on while you're doing other shit, like playing Candy Crush or something, I think you could stream it. I think you should stream it so that they get the views because I feel like, you know, we're talking about this before with like the the Beetle, the Blue Beetle or whatever. Sure. Like I don't want I don't want all LGBTQ films to be graded on this curve. So like if that is important, then sure. But I think as far as like a film, I would say you could probably skip it. I think read the book, right?
1: Read, read the book. and you know, Myself fold, included. Fold laundry. You know, you, that's always good Yeah, fold
0: option. laundry. It's a total fold laundry stream it <laughs> kind of movie yeah. slash it. I, I did it all. <laughs> I, I nailed all of the options. Boom. <laughs>
2: Mm, yeah, I'm uh yeah, I'm I'm also a screen it. I think this is, you know, a little a little cute romp um is 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 what I describe it as. You know, you can definitely enjoy it, see it for yourself. Sweet, simple, and that's it. But we'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun.
1: And here's what some of the listeners have to say.
0: It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I
2: just started listening and I'm
1: already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish i discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org.
2: Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, If and in the studio with me are... Tracy Thomas. Alonzo Guralt. And we just told you about a movie whose producers also make a lot of television shows. Now we have a hotline call from listener Ray that was inspired by another recent movie TV connection. So, uh, oh yeah, Brianna,
0: play that call. Hey, this is Ray. She or they pronouns. Uh, inspired by last week's Rocket Man episode and Craig Mazin's career trajectory, if you could pick any creator of bizarre and maybe questionable. 80s and 90s comedies to come back as an award-winning prestige television mogul. Who would you pick, and what would you want to see to make?
2: That's a really interesting question,
0: Question,
1: Ray. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Tracy, just as a quick fill-in, Rocket Man—not the Elton John movie, but the one with Harlan Williams farting in an astronaut uh, suit—was, you know. co-written or something by Craig Mazin who went on to do like Chernobyl and The Last of Us.
0: I'm literally the worst possible human for this question. So I'm excited to come up with garbage after I hear you two come up with something brilliant. (laughs) Get ready, Ray. Here I come.
1: (laughs) Mm. Uh, Mine's mine's kind of a gimme in that I think this is somebody who could turn around and do Prestige TV anyway. But the first person I thought of was Joel Hodgson who created Mystery Science Theater 3000, which was probably like my... You know, my my north star of comedy in the nineteen nineties for sure. And I would love to see him do like he's got this amazing uh, encyclopedic knowledge about show business. Uh, but like you know, like all corners of it from like you know vaudeville and magic to television. Uh, I would love to see him do like a Mad Men sort of show in the fifties about the dawn of TV. And like the scrappiness of early television in a lot of ways but then also like how it kind of killed you know what had been American movie going up until that point and what you know what the last death throes of vaudeville really that was that were still kind of happening at that point um that's such an interesting pivot point in American pop culture and I think he would totally nail all the different directions of you know, the, the, the future, but the past and, and, and all the things were, that, that were happening at that point. Uh, I would love to see that.
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you want me to continue. <laughs> I was gonna
0: I'm Just it's blank <laughs> in here.
2: Oh no, it's all good. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, my old staff pick the past was directed by, uh, Paul Miller, who has actually done like a lot of like, TV specials like you know especially in like in the 90s he's doing one for Whoopi Goldberg and all that and then as and more recently he's done more award shows and things like that and, uh, and he did the Carol Burnett 90 years of laughter and love but I'd love oh no kidding. yeah yeah so I'd love you know in Alonzo you'll remember like how they used to have like like even thinking back to like when they portrayed it on Elvis like TV specials like it was a whole to do where you had one mm. comedian and they had to like do a TV TV ready special. And I was like, I'd love to revisit that in comedy. You know, we're having like a lot of great, you know, this, this clown kind of, um, Renaissance right now and different characters. And, you know, that's how, you know, like the great, um, you know, Pee Wee Herman was created. Like, what is like the modern television special, not Netflix, sure. not HBO. I'm talking about you're making this for TV for every, you know, for, for adults, but like every, it has to be, you know, Aired on TV. Please
1: welcome my musical guest, the lovely Charlie XCX.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I think you know uh, letting Paul Miller take the reins, and that's something that has been you know his bag for so long, and implement something new with like just this kind of like mastered of the you know the the, what it's built on would be interesting to see.
1: Crazy if you don't have a lot of like TV names to go with. If you want to give us like. An author like, you know, Irma Bound Bel- yes. suddenly becomes Erica
0: Jong or something. So, you know? listen, yeah. <laughs> I literally have nothing. Um, I have two things that have come to mind. Uh, and I'm gonna just go buck wild on this for you, Ray. I'm gonna combine my two things and yeah. I don't think this answers your question, but it's a podcast, so we're allowed to do this. My uh for I should this is what I want to tell you why I'm having a hard time. I am not a person who likes comedy generally. I don't like funny. I don't like the pressure to laugh. I like to laugh. I don't like the pressure to laugh, okay? So I don't watch a lot of comedic things. That Not being sure. said, one of my favorite funny things from the 90s is the movie Clueless and my other mm-hmm. favorite funny thing from the 90s is the TV sitcom Martin. So I would like Amy Heckerling, the director of Clueless and like all of those look who's talking all of that Mm. shit that was very (laughs) girls born in 1982 to 1989's favorite shit. I would like her (laughs) to direct a prestige show starring Martin Lawrence as a something doing something fantastic. I don't fucking know. That's what I've got for you. Amy Eckerling doing something with Martin Lawrence, two of my favorite 90s humans. Yeah,
1: I would never have put them together, but I think that's <laughs> brilliant. guess. That's <laughs> called prestige.
0: I would like it to be a remake of Succession, but Martin Lawrence is in charge of BET. You're welcome. Send but yeah. my check.
1: Tisha, Tisha <laughs> Campbell has to be involved.
0: Sure. Anybody else can cast whatever they want.
1: <laughs> uh, come on. Tisha Campbell is holding up at least half of Martin. Yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah.
0: Maybe it's just the whole cast of Martin, but like they're all washed up. I don't know. Amy's a genius. She'll figure yes. out something. <laughs> this is on Amy. I've done my part.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like I look. I've done the the the, I'm the heavy sweating. lifting. It is now really for sweating. Amy to take it from here. <laughs> Let it be.
1: <laughs> good, good stuff. And I, this is not my staff pick, but I just sort of throw that Tracy. If you like Amy Heckerling and that period of her uh, work. Check out uh, I Could Never Be Your Woman. Okay. A movie she did that, like, the distributor literally went bankrupt the week before the movie was cool. supposed to come out. So it went awesome. straight to DVD. But uh, Paul Rudd Michelle Pfeiffer, it's hilarious. I'm not about people to see it. Great. I'm interested. Ooh.
2: All right. Well, speaking of that, let's go to staff picks. It could be any movie at all. When? What's your real staff pick, Alonzo?
1: My recent pick is Blue Beetle, actually, which I Oh. I, I came up with even before hearing this week's day. So yes, I support uh, uh the you know National Latino Film Institute or whoever it is that's out there, uh uh and getting the word out of this movie. It's really charming. I saw it today. And it's we the thing that we would never get in superhero movies is like human-sized steaks. And this is about this guy who has these powers sort of thrust upon him and his main concern is making sure that his family is safe. And um, the family is really, uh, you know, it's an entertaining mix of actors. I mean, like... Adriana Barraza and Elpidia Carrillo and George Lopez, you know, and um, it's just like I, I did not really know where this was going to go, and I was constantly charmed by it. Uh, I, you know, Solo uh, uh, Linia, who plays the lead, is really charming, and um, the the yeah, just everybody. This is a really Belissa uh, Escobedo as the sister of Milagro, scene stealer. Extraordinaire. Susan Sarandon makes a great villainess. Like it's just, it's all happening. Uh it, it's I had such a good time. So yeah, go see Bluebeard.
2: Woo. All right, Tracy. You got any picks for okay. us?
0: Okay, Alonzo, you and I are on opposite tracks all day today. I'm going, <laughs> as I mentioned, I don't like comedy. So I'm going to the deepest, darkest place you can go, which is three. Uh, hundred and twenty meters under the sea with that fucking Netflix documentary, "The Deepest Breath." Okay, Whoa. my husband knows that I have extreme anxiety, but he decided that when my brother and my sister in law were in town, that he could pick the movie. Um, and he picked this documentary, "The Deepest Breath," and it's about free divers. Do you all know what free diving is? Uh, no, yeah. No changes, I'll just right. I'll t- Okay, free diving. It's terrifying. You take a deep breath at the top of the ocean. Then you swim straight down vertically, holding your breath for as far as you can go. This is two Empire State buildings on top of each other underwater holding your breath. Oh, wait, it gets better. When you come up, you have to swim against the current, which is pulling you down to the bottom of the ocean. And then you are holding your breath still, so you get to the top. And sometimes, right before you get to the top, you do a thing called blackout. And safety divers grab you by your chin to keep your mouth closed so you don't swallow water and drown. And when you emerge from the water, you're totally like paralyzed, almost seizing, and they show this to you in the film and this is the horror film of my nightmares Uh, I had a nightmare after I watched it this movie I know I'm not really selling it as like this is great but it's the footage is a recommendation right this is a recommendation (laughs) I can't stop talking about it and thinking about it so I'm trying to get everybody to watch it so everybody can be as freaked out as I am it's there's also like this love story in the middle of it of this this woman Alessia Zucchini who is like a world record holding and chasing uh, free diver and then this guy Stephen Keenan who is a safety diver who has this they have this story. They come together. There's tragedy. We know there's tragedy from the beginning. The first shot is basically an almost uncut. I think there's maybe one or two cuts of one of Alessia's dives to 104 meters. That's 300, basically 300 feet under the sea, holding her breath. It's three and a half minutes. You're just watching this woman. You're hearing her heartbeat this shit is so fucked up. It's so good. It's so tense. Um, it's just like it's a thriller, but it's a documentary. And the shots are beautiful. They're, it's just like you're under. Uh, it's it's all the things. It's horrible. It's great. Watch it. If your husband tries to get you
1: to watch Free Solo, don't fall
0: for it. I've already seen it. That was the last <laughs> time. Apparently, <laughs> I've been warned. There's one called The Alpinist that I'm not going to fall for this time. It's about <laughs> snow climbers. Okay. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it again. I don't want to see any more extreme sports ever again. I is am it, here it for possible World that Cup your summer. husband
1: is a sadist? Just I'm going to throw that he, out. There. <laughs> it is. And he,
0: want, he doesn't want to do it alone. And then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, how did you sleep? He's like, I slept fine. I was like, well, I had nightmares because Steven and Alessia were in my brain. I kept seeing uh. the blackout faces. Anyways watch it, and then please DM me so we can talk about it. (laughs) I need friends.
2: (laughs) Say less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mine is going to be uh, an an anime movie. It's called (laughs) The First Slam Dunk uh, by Takahiko Inoue, um, which kind of takes place after the anime, uh, but you do not need to see it. It gives you everything you need when you watch it. It's like such a solid... uh, like anime film that does such amazing shots. It tells such a wonderful story. It can be, if this was, you know, live action, it would be such a solid, you know, high school sports film, but Mm. it is in anime and they're doing, Both shots that would look wonderful if shot with a camera and shots that uh, you could only do with animation. The animation is just top notch, next levels, hopping from 2D to 3D. And um, it's only in a few theaters now, but it seems like it's going to be going for a little while. Definitely get out and see it had a blast seeing it. Probably am going to see it again. Um, And like I said, you don't have to go in knowing anything about the anime. You don't even have to go in like being an anime fan. It is a great movie period point blank. Uh, You know, So it's
1: based on a TV show or.
2: Yeah, it was a manga that turned into an anime series and it was about, and it's, what's really funny about it is like the main character of the movie is not the main character of the manga itself. Like it, it takes so like, with that, it really does kind of like help Liberate you get bro. immersed because you're not it's not like highly referential and like tapping into stuff. You're getting like flashbacks with this kind of character that are teaching you about it. And it's telling this story about essentially, you know, he he had a loss and how it has kind of uh, drove him to be a basketball player and how he's kind of dealt with the grief. It's truly um. A phenomenal movie. Um, Highly, yeah. If you can see it while it's still in theaters, check it out. Um, And with that, we say thank you so much to Tracy Thomas. What do you want to let the listeners know about and where can they find you?
0: Um, I'm on tour right now for my book podcast, the stacks, you can catch me in Chicago, New York, DC, and LA over the next little bit. And you can find me, um, anywhere you find your podcasts, search for the stacks. We've got over 300 and something episodes. So I'm sure if you've read the book, we've got an episode on it at the stacks pod on Instagram, TikTok, and threads. I'm an elder millennial. TikTok is my hell. And also Twitter at the stackspot underscore. Um, but yeah, let's be friends and talk about scary free diving <laughs> or books yeah, or yeah. root beer floats.
2: Ooh. Okay. Or, or yeah. all of the above. <laughs> Together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. Drea, we look forward to you coming back. And you, listener, thank you for listening. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore Film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash group forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at org. Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxpart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And filling in for Marissa while she's on vacation is producer Brianna Paz. And this... Is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. Yeah. Maximum Fun,
0: a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly
1: by you.